0: Scripture this morning is the 23rd Psalm, Um, and and so I'm going to do something I don't always ask you to do. I want everyone to turn into your pew Bibles and find it on page 541, um, because we are going to read it out loud together. So as you're turning and looking for it, um, last week as we were in Psalm 1, I, I mentioned Korah and Korah's rebellion, and and we talked about number 16. So I'm sure a lot of you through the week went back and read Numbers chapter 16 and read all about the rebellion of Korah, right? Right? You were all there and you were like, wow, all of all of Korah, their whole household and all their belongings just swallowed up alive down into Sheol. Well, there, there's more to that, right? So scripture doesn't just the word of God just doesn't leave the rebellion of Korah to number 16. Uh, you can go to uh, Jude, and, and Jude, as he's writing in the New Testament, he writes of of, of Cain and the people who uh, walked in the rebellion of Korah, who walked in that same path, blaspheming God and the Holy Spirit, and, and had woes to them there. But then also uh, the psalmist in Psalm 46, uh, a well-known psalm, the Lord is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Um, I, I will have no fear, even though the earth may open up. Right? The psalmist is referring again to Korah, and, and there's, a, there's an inscription that begins before that psalm. Like here on, on, psalm, on the 23rd psalm, it says, Psalm of David. Well, in the 46th psalm, it says, To the sons of Korah. Folks, there are no sons of Korah. They were all swallowed up there at Korah's Rebellion in Numbers 16. There were no descendants. And and so the fact that the that subscription is the, the inscription is there before the psalm is again a stark reminder of how our faith continues to tell the story of God and his people with them to continue it along, right? So in that story, God protected Moses and Aaron and the other of his people who were not rebelling against him and blaspheming him. And so to the sons of Korah, everyone goes, there are no sons. Ah, so this is for those faithful. My Lord is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in a time of troubles. I will have no fear even when the earth opens up. All right. Today we're in the 23rd Psalm and we are going to read this out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Let us pray. O oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Oh, the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is immensely beautiful and It's, it's one of the, the, the scriptures in God's word that we read it or we hear it and we want to give it room to breathe. We want to give it room to breathe because there's something about this psalm that speaks directly to the depths of our soul as if contained within these words written by David is an entire light that illuminates the entirety of our soul, not in a way that brings us shame for what it shines light upon, but it brings us this peaceful joy for what the light is. The unfortunate thing is that the 23rd Psalm has become mostly associated with funerals. In much the same way that uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is associated with weddings, even though it has nothing to do with weddings and everything to do with church membership. right? But the 23rd Psalm can be said... Can be read and you know. But what is it that makes Psalm 23 so well known? What is it that makes it so popular? I contend that it, because it is that light that goes into the depths of our soul, and we know that light to be the very beauty of. Of Christ in our lives. See, in this psalm, it's revealed to us exactly what the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, does for his sheep. In fact, we can't help but hear David scream out the Messiah's name when he writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We don't necessarily understand the metaphor and the imagery of Jesus as shepherd in our contemporary culture, as um, shepherds are not very common in Neptune Beach in 2022. They were exponentially more numerous in first century Israel than they are today. But we know that shepherds, they take care of their flock. And Jesus points out in a parable in Luke's gospel, points out of the shepherd that cares for his flock where one is gone, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go get the one and carry him back home. In the Gospel of John in chapter 10, Jesus himself reveals that the shepherd David is talking about in Psalm 23 is him when he says, I am the good shepherd. He keeps the gates. He calls the sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. See, he knows them and they know his voice. And he's not a hired shepherd who runs in times of trouble. And so, because Jesus is our shepherd, we need nothing else. And that's how David starts. The Lord is my shepherd. I need nothing else. And then he writes in, in verses two through four, as, as he's writing, he tells us what the shepherd does. And he, and he says that, that the shepherd leads us to rest. That the shepherd leads us in work, and that the shepherd leads us through sorrow. We see these movements come here. David writes there in verse 2 when he says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul." Things we aren't often going to do on our own is take rest and respite in time to restore ourselves. But that is exactly what Jesus does as the good shepherd. The first thing he does with us to restore our soul for those who are hungry and thirsty. He takes us to the green pasture. He leads us beside still waters. And he shows us everlasting life. And there, as we find rest and refreshment, and we find it in the Lord, he restores our souls. And then he, David writes that, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads us in in work. It's not that he leads us in work and then we're restored. It's we're restored and then he leads us into work. The work is is fruit of the restoration of the refreshing and the rest of our soul. And so he leads us in work. He, He says he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not for our glory, but for his glory. So that so glorifying God and enjoying God go hand in hand. And so we recognize that that left to our own devices, our own decisions, our own flesh, we're not going to walk in paths of righteousness. We choose paths of destruction. We choose rebellion and sin. But because Christ is our shepherd, he holds us and leads us in righteousness. It is he who guides us into godliness, into the, into the work of sanctification, of, of becoming glorified in Christ into perfection. It, it's this process he takes us through in, in the work of confessing and repenting of our sins. Holy work. And then he writes how the shepherd leads us through sorrow. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know it to be true that it's not rainbows, sunshines, and parties all of the time. But rather, life is filled with tumult and troubles. Storms and dark valleys do come our way. Evil is there and we will not avoid it. But for us, dear Christian, we don't have to fear it. Though, yes, it will come, it is because of the very presence of our shepherd, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us that we fear no evil. Even though he leads us on this path of righteousness, dark valleys do come. And the good shepherd, the good shepherd does not send us through and meet us on the other side. The good shepherd is with us every day step of the way. A good, good shepherd indeed. And so he leads us to rest. He leads us in work, and he leads us through sorrow. And then David here at the end of this psalm leaves us with an intense illustration of the hope we hold. The hope we have and the hope that God is faithful to. He writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here in these final verses, in this intense illustration, we see that a meal is supplied, prepared and provided in the presence of our enemies, those who would slander us, speak evil and wish to do harm to us. In the very tumult of life, God provides. and shows us that life is a banquet. In the midst of our strife and our conflict, the Lord provides. There's much imagery given in the New Testament of a great wedding feast that is to come. But here in these verses, we see it as a banquet because tomorrow is coming. And tomorrow will bring God. And whatever else it brings, it brings God. And as Paul assured us in Romans 8 that no matter what tomorrow takes away, it will not take away the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Because there will be goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives, in all of our mistakes. Jesus, when he talks about the lost sheep, and he begins to give us this imagery that he is the good shepherd, we hear of this sheep who became lost, who left the flock, who went off and wasn't with its shepherd anymore. And when the shepherd realized it, it did not say, oh, well, count the lost and move on. The shepherd left the 99 for the one. You And he picked them up and carried them home. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life pursuing us. Because Jesus is our shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, as Peter calls him. And his sheep know his voice. And because we know Jesus, we know the Father. And because of the good shepherd who would lay down his life for our salvation, we hold firm and declare with David as he writes, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. Amen.